chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And it's found on page 1046 on your few Bibles. Jesus heals a paralytic. A few, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralysed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Uh, Thanks, Ellie. It's going to take me a moment or two just to get ready. So do you want to um, talk to one another, say a quick hello, people around about you? If you get stuff for things to talk about, ask this. Uh, Who would you say is the most powerful person in the world? There's a little nice little intro question. Uh, Talk to one another. I'll call you back in just a moment or two. Wonderful. If you had that part of the Bible open, it was in Mark chapter 2, page 1046. And John has some outlines at the back of the room that look like this. If you'd like one, you can follow along, make a note or two. It'd be worth checking this out to make sure I'm not making it up. This is actually what the Bible has to say. I should warn you too, by the end of uh, tonight, you're going to have an opportunity to respond. There's a little response card. You should know about that now so that it doesn't sneak up on you later on. All right, I'm going to pray again for us and then we're going to look at what is one of my favourite parts of the Bible. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we pray uh, tonight that you would help us hear uh, what you have to say about Jesus and about us. Please would you help us push aside all the presuppositions decisions we've already made about Jesus and even about us and help us hear what you have to say on both those things. We pray that it would be for Jesus' praise and his alone. Amen. A couple of years ago at Deakin University where I work, we ran a short series called Sex, Money, Power. We have to work quite hard to get the attention of the campus. Anyway, during this series, we'd get out on campus and we would ask the students to interact with what we were talking about. And on the topic of power... We ask the question, who is the most powerful person in the world? Now, I have no idea how you would answer that question. But here's just some of what we got from the, from the campus. Uh, real, live answers. Some went political, especially the Saudi students, with King Abdullah, the ruler of Saudi Arabia. Others went for President Obama, which I heard a little bit down the front here, basically the ruler of everywhere else. Uh, some went financial with Aussie Rupert Murdoch. Some went sporting, local hero Luke Hodge. Some students uh, just went weird with people like Chuck Norris. 
David Hasselhoff. But I think my personal favourite. For the most powerful person in the world, real answer from Deakin University was the then pop sensation singer extraordinaire, Britney Spears. You can almost hear it now, can't you? The award for the most powerful person in the world goes to... Oh, baby, baby. Now, the reason I tell you that, well, it's in part so you know what we're dealing with down at university. Please do pray for us. Uh, but mostly it's because, as we start off our time together this evening, I want to ask you, can you do any better? I want to ask you how you would answer that question. See, what do you think of when you think true power? Who do you think of when you think true power? And not just kind of theoretically or jokingly, like the good people down at Deakin University, but seriously, really. When you need someone to do what you can't do, someone to help you when you cannot help yourself, who do you look to? A little while ago, our daughter, our second daughter Elka, got very sick. We were taken her to kinder like any other normal day and during the day she complained of pains in her knees and her elbows. When anyone would touch her, she'd cry out with pain. By the time my wife Erica got to her, she was crumpled up in a ball on the floor and couldn't bear her own weight. We rushed to the hospital and when they took her in, the first thoughts of the doctors was leukaemia, which just happens to be the same illness that killed my cousin when he was a boy. See, put yourself in my shoes back then. Where do you look then? Who do you turn to? Who is your most powerful person in the world? Better yet, who is the most powerful person in the world? Well, in the passage I hope you have in front of you now, we find out this evening, and just a little clue, he's better than Brittany. Our story begins there, you see, Mark chapter 2, verse 1, with Jesus back home again. It's a kind of local boy done good. And he's teaching a crowd in a house. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that it's your house. Okay? Knock at the door. Pull back the curtain. It's Jesus at your house. Hashtag, guess who's coming to dinner? You, you open the door, of course, and you let Jesus in. Pretty soon word gets around. There's another knock at the door. And then another knock at the door. And then another knock at the door and another and another. And soon there's a crowd packed into your house wanting to hear Jesus. In fact, you see there, verse 2, it's not just inside, it's outside too. Jammed in the doorways. Faces pressed against the windows. Everyone has come to listen to Jesus. And that's what they do. They hang on his every word. You could have heard a pin drop. Only today you'll notice you didn't hear a pin drop. Instead what you heard was a dirty great thump from the roof above followed by the sound of ceiling hitting floor. And then what you saw was a kind of finger poking through the roof and working the hole. And then maybe an eyeball and then a head, and then maybe 
foreheads and then a body looking near dead, sort of lowered down somehow right in front of you. I wonder, can you imagine standing in that room, watching the hole get bigger and bigger? Can you imagine all the people with dust and kind of bits of roof lying on top of them, trying to force their way back into the already overcrowded house? Can you imagine coming for miles to see Jesus? You've come for the show. You've heard about the miracles and, oh man, it looks like you're going to get your money's worth. And then can you imagine straining forward with the crowd to hear Jesus say, there in verse 5, Son, your sins are forgiven. Maybe you kind of look at the person next to you and kind of whisper, that was a bit of a dud. Sins are forgiven. Forget the crowd now. Imagine you're one of those blokes up on the roof. How are you feeling right now? All that effort dragging your mate to come and see Jesus. All that effort to get him up on the roof. If it was anything like that, it would be considerable effort. All that effort to lower him down. How do you feel? Forget the blokes on the roof. Imagine you're the owner of the house. Now, maybe you've given up the roof for a good old-fashioned healing. But for this... Forget the blokes on the roof. Forget the owner of the house. Imagine you're the guy on the mat. The guy still on the mat. Still paralysed on the mat. How do you feel? After all, it's obvious why he has come, isn't it? 2,000 years later, to us not even there, it's obvious why he has come, isn't it? He's come to get his legs back. He's come to get his arms back. He's come to get his life back. And yet what does Jesus say? Not get up, be healed. But son, your sins are forgiven. Why? I want to ask why. I think we're supposed to ask why. Jesus wants us to ask why. See, imagine for a moment there's someone you love. Maybe my little Elka. And maybe this time she really does have leukaemia and it's not just a scare this time. And you meet someone who you know can help her, who can just take it away. And so you bring her to him and you lay her down in front of him and you fall before him and you beg on your knees and what do you hear him say? Not... Be healed. Not get up. Not it's okay. At least not yet. But instead, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Why? Why would he say that? Is he mean? Just kind of messing with this guy for a while? Is he ignorant? has no idea what the guy really wants, just sleeping on the mat, lower through the roof. Is he weak? He couldn't do it anyway. 
Or is it instead that Jesus knows something that you and I don't? And that Jesus sees something that you and I don't? And that Jesus treats this man in this way and then makes sure that this story is kept for us so that we would see it too. See, what does this man need more than anything else in the world? What do your friends need more than anything else in the world? What do all those people in every ward, down at Prince Alfred's need, more than anything else in the world, what do you need more than anything else in the world? See, according to Jesus, it's the forgiveness that comes from God. It's forgiveness for our sin. According to Jesus, that's our most powerful problem. Now, I want to say, if you're anything like I was, up until the age 21, and to be honest, a little while after that as well, you want to say something like, ah, yeah, sure, thanks for the offer. But actually, you find I'm pretty good with all that. In fact, you probably should know, I don't actually sin. In fact, I don't really do anything all that wrong. But see, if that's you, as it was me, I want you to come back with me and have a look again at the man on the mat. I want you to look down at him again with the crowds gathered around and ask yourself, what did he do? What could he have possibly done? He was probably paralysed since he was born. What could he have done? So offensive to God. that his, If sin was all about what we do, there's something else going on there. No, sin must be something much deeper, much, much deeper than simply what we do. In fact, it's pretty well what Ellie described, I think. It's not so much about what we do, it's about who we do it for. See, a powerful problem with God, this guy's powerful problem with God wasn't about what he did. It's about who he did it for. Let me put it this way. As I mentioned before, a long time ago, I used to work at the steelworks and the apprentice training shops and I had a mate, an apprentice who worked with me and one day my mate had to go and see the boss, a particularly, oh gosh, scary boss, massive beard, couldn't understand a word that he said and he just went where he pointed and tried to work it out. Anyway, he had to go and see the boss in the boss's office but the boss wasn't there. So what do you do? Well, he sat down. Reasonable. But for some reason, real story, I can't work this out, he sat down at the boss's desk. Now, now I'm assuming he dragged the chair up to the front of the desk, but knowing the particular man of mine, there's a good chance he actually went round behind the boss's desk and sat down. And he waited a while, and we were working late shifts, and he got sleepy. So what do you do? Well, of course, you put your little headywear down and you have a kip at the boss's desk. And the boss came back and it didn't go well. I don't think I made any idea what the boss said to him, but it was bad and loud. He took the boss's position of power. He assumed it for himself. And here's the thing, this is what the Bible says every single person in this room and in this world has done. And not just with the boss at work, no matter how scary your boss is, but with the boss of the universe the one who runs the show, the one who made you and owns you. 
We've taken his position of power, not because of what we've done, but because of who we do it for. And when he comes back, he's going to be much angrier than the boss was to my mate. See, for all this, we're in incredible trouble. That bloke on the mat was in incredible trouble. We need forgiveness more than anything else in the world. And here, Jesus claims to offer it. We have this thing we taught our children at home. I should make them come up and do it, but I won't. Well, they won't speak to me ever, ever again. We have this thing where we say, us and God were made to be like that. But because of the way we've treated him, pushed him to the edges, ignored him out behind us, we've made us like that. And then with our daily rejection, we've built a wall like that. But praise be to God, he has found a way to break down that wall. The wall that draws his anger, to break down that wall and to make us like that with God again. And see here, Jesus says, I am that way. Jesus claims to be able to do what only God can do and make us right with him. See, the teachers of the law there, they get it. Do you notice verse 6? Teachers of the law get a hard time if you're new to the Bible. Teachers of the law, they're basically baddies. But here they got it right. Verse 6, and the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And the answer? No one. No one other than God can forgive our rejection of God. And yet that's what Jesus claims the power to do. To powerfully solve our powerful problem. Now you and I aren't going to find out how he exactly plans to do that until much later in the story. Until Jesus goes to the cross. He powerfully takes on our rejection and gives us his perfection. Until he swaps places with us. He faces the boss's anger. But we're not up to that part of the story yet. And so instead what we have here is, it's kind of Jesus writing blank checks and giving them out. Blank checks for forgiveness that he'll later make good on. See, there's one for the tax collector. And then there's one for the prostitute. And then there's one for Ellie. And there's one for you, if you will accept it from him. Problem is, of course, problem for Jesus, problem for us, is how do you prove it? It's not like someone suddenly looks different when they get forgiven, when they become a Christian. Isn't it? The dinner plate doesn't quite show up behind the head. I don't know if you noticed when Ellie came, Ellie came up that the sun was shining quite lovely on the face, but there was no dinner plate <laughs> behind the face. It doesn't go all pious. So verse 8, Jesus proves it. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit they were thinking in their hearts and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? Say the paralytic, sins are forgiven. Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. Do you get the question? Which is easier, to fix a broken back or to fix a broken relationship with God? Real question. You don't have to shout it out. But how would you answer? Which is easier? See, I don't know about you, I want to say, neither are easier. Great question, Jesus. In fact, both are impossible, aren't they? Unless that is, 
You have the power to do what only God can do. They're both easy. Lemon squeezy. So to prove that he can do both. See, to prove that he has done the powerful miracle they can't see. In the forgiveness of this man's sin, Jesus does the powerful miracle they can see and he tells the bloke to get up, verse 10. But that you may know the Son of Man, that's him, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, go home. And he got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone and they praised God saying, We have never seen anything like this. And of course they were right. But not just because they saw a guy who couldn't work, who couldn't walk, get up and leave the room. But because they saw a sinner made right with the God who loves him. Do you see? That's why Jesus is the most powerful person in the world. Even more powerful than Obama. Even more powerful than Britney. Because he can do this. And this is why every single one of us in this room and on this planet needs this Jesus. Because he can do this. He can make us right with God. So, you wrap it up, I want to say to those in the room, for whom Jesus has already done this, will you praise God for his power? Will you praise God just like those crowd did when they saw the bloke get up? Will you praise God like that man must have done for the rest of his life and then into eternity that Jesus made him right with God? For those of us who... who Jesus hasn't done this, we want to ask, will you come to him? Just like the man did on the mat, maybe even brought by friends, a little less dramatically probably. Will you trust Jesus' power for you? If you spend any time in the Bible, you can't help but see, Jesus longs to help you. Jesus wants to make you right with his Father God. And just like Ellie said, he's already done everything that needs doing. You can come to him just as helpless as the guy on the mat. In fact, you must come to him just as helpless as the guy on the mat, trusting his performance, not yours. No, I'll do this much, you do that much. Entirely what he has done. Jesus has already lived the life you should have lived. He died the death you should have died. He's risen again so that you can too. Will you come to him? I want to say tonight, if you come along tonight, come for the coffee house, and this is going to hit you by surprise, will you at least consider him? Will you commit as an adult to reading the story of his life? Later I'm sure John's going to tell us something about these. Historical account of Jesus' life. Will you read it through just once? Take you about as long as the sports section of the paper, depending on which paper you're looking at, and depending if it's AFL season. But will you at least consider Jesus? John will say some more about how we can do that. But for now, just hear this. 
Jesus is the most powerful person in the world and he's come with his power for you. Please will you trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, for his power and that it brings power to forgive and make us right with God. We pray that every single one of us would accept that for ourselves. We pray for our friends, even those who aren't here, that they'd accept it too. In Jesus' name, Amen.